All right, good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors for the church. And as always, I always say the same thing when I come here, but I truly mean it. And I'm going to continue to say it as many times as I come. Uh, I really, really love being here. Um, thanks, Robbie, and thanks to the rest of the guys. That was amazing. That last song kicked me in the gut a few times before preaching. That's a good thing. Before uh, the reading of a scripture, um, I just wanted to give you a quick uh, financial update for the church. Usually, um, um, at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, and at the beginning of the year, we talk about money. Uh, two main reasons. One, because we want your money, um, because that's how the church moves, and there's nothing unbiblical about it. But number two, because we always want to call the church to have a commitment, financial commitment to the church, right? So... Um, so I have a mix of good news and bad news, all right? And the reason why I'm saying it before the preaching is because if we're going to be wounded for a little bit, the word, the word is going to heal us later on, okay? So the good news is this. In 2019, um, we were 1.6% uh, higher than the year before in contributions. That's a good thing, meaning that many, many, many of you were really committed to this place, committed to the church, and supported the church financially. We were, um, because of that, we were able to contribute about uh, half a million dollars to uh, debt reduction, uh, reduction for the church, all right? That's the good news. Um, also good news is that this year, 2019, 2019 we had uh, about 2,500 new givers to the church, that's always a really good sign because that means that com people continue to commit, people continue to come to the church, uh, people continue to support. So if you are one of those in these first two categories, I, I want to thank you. I really want to thank you. I know that sometimes uh, Martin Luther King used to say um, that, uh, that the last thing that gets converted usually in people is their wallet. Uh, and, and I agree with that. Right, But uh, what we see here is that we have people like you that are committed to the church and supports the church financially. And I wanted to thank you uh, in representation of, of the church as a whole. You guys are uh, super committed, loving people. Um, the bad news, though, is that we didn't get to finish our year well in a sense of we didn't get to uh, get to the budget we had expected to get. Um, so even though our expenses were lower uh, about... Um, about 2.3 less than percent of what we wanted or what we were supposed to spend. Still, at the end of the year, we came like about $300,000 short um, for, for this for 2019 budget year, meaning then that this year we need to pray more, right? Uh, that we need to give more, right? But also meaning that we, we're just going to have to do some sort of adjustments in ministry. Um, so please pray for us. Uh, as, as we make decisions and move things around, uh, we, we know that um, uh, the Lord always provides. This is the way, what I, the way I always frame it to the church. God is always faithful. God always provides for his, for his church. But every now and then we go through times like this. Um, so this is an invitation for you to pray this year for the church. It's an invitation for you to give faithfully to the church, right? Uh, and it's an invitation for you to commit with your finances if this is the church the Lord has given you. Now, we also understand that this was a year of transitions, right? Um, and this is my, uh, my, intro, my intro into the sermon today. Because when uh, we met with the, with, the, with the preaching team, as you know, uh, some of you guys know, uh, we have a group of, uh, we, we, we choose topics for the church as a preaching team, right? 
And then um, we wanted to start this year with a preaching series that will help us as believers um, understand what is it that it means to be a, live a, uh, be a Christian in a fallen world, or what it means to live a Christian in a world that, in the words of uh, C.S. Lewis, in an enemy-occupied land. And that's why Josh, last week, we did an amazing job. He started this series talking about the armor of God, right? Um, but I saw, uh, this morning, I was uh, driving over here, I was thinking... Every time you do a, a series like this, based on Ephesians 6, is, is, is risky. I tell you why. Because every time we start messing around with Satan, we, we ought to expect that he's going to be more active than usual. Right? That's, so that was foolish on us, if you will. Right? But the idea is that we do live in this spiritual war constantly, Right, And then when we want to teach the church how to deal with that, we ought to expect all kinds of problems. Now, I I'm usually try to be really objective about these things, right? And I don't, I, I don't see the devil in everything that is happening, but I see the devil moving in so many different places, right? In, the, in, in my own personal life, with my family, in the church. Um, and I want you to be aware of that. Because part of what it means to expose yourself to the preaching of God's word when it comes to this topic, it means that you ought to expect some sort of problems. And we're going to talk about that in a second because the devil is in the business of making your life miserable. You know, it's, that's, that's the clearest idea. The devil is in the business of making your life miserable. The irony of it, though, is that everything that he offers looks beautiful. But the motive is always destruction. So the way I'm going to put it like this is the devil really, really, truly, truly hates you. And he hates me. And the explanation is super simple. Because you look like God. You were created in the image of God. Therefore, you ought to expect that he hates you. Doesn't matter how much he promises. That is the reality. So that's why, as a church, we wanted to go through this series and say, all right, let's look at what the Scripture says about this, and let's see what the Scripture teaches us how to, deal on how, to, how to deal with this kind of stuff. All right, so I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word uh, as a sign of reverence, and we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read the section that uh, Josh read last week, and I'm going to add one more thing, and that's what we're going to be doing uh, week after week, all right? Ephesians chapter 6 is starting in verse 10. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that first. All right. It says like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power, and in his mighty power, put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this darkness, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That is the reading of God's word. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. So grateful, Lord, that in the, middle of, in, a, in, a mid, in, a, in the middle of winter, we get to gather as believers to hear the, the power of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you use it as always. Holy Spirit, please be present. 
as we sang and worship right now, please be present through the ministry and, and person of the Holy Spirit. We need your presence more than anything else. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All right, you may be seated. All right, so, um, so I, as, uh, it's interesting when you read the passage that it gives you this explanation, and I'm not going to repeat some of the stuff that Josh says last week, but it gives you this explanation, uh, Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6, that says that we are actually in this spiritual war. Now, that passage is usually known as uh, the passage that talks about spiritual warfare, which is kind of the same thing. The reason why we chose the word war is because it's a little bit more confrontational. And it tells you that the devil is actually in war against you and in war against me and in war against um, God and everything that looks like God and everything that smells like God and everything that tastes like God, if you will, right? And when you read the text, you realize that from verses 10 to 13, he gives you all the foundational stuff, all the informational things, but then in verse 14 on, he's going to give us the weapons or the tools that we need to be able to fight against evil or fight against the devil. And the first thing in that list is the belt of truth. The first thing in that list. Notice that it doesn't say exorcism. Notice it doesn't say, you know, cast out the demon. Uh, it doesn't say any of that stuff. What it says is, if you want to fight against the devil and evil in this world, and actually, I may add, evil in your heart, start with the belt of truth. So I'm asking three questions to the text today. Question number one is this. Why wear it? Why is it that we should wear this belt? Question number two, how to wear it? Because how you wear something makes a difference. And number three, who wears it? Why, how, and who? So let's start with the first question, why wear it? Now, so I want you to see verse 14 once again and pay attention uh, how he starts. He says, stand firm there, uh, then with the belt of truth. Once again, this is extremely significant that he starts with this. It's extremely significant that this is, this is the first tool he gives you. This is the first weapon he gives you. What I find even more interesting, and I don't know if you ever thought of this before, is that if you really, uh, so I was looking at pictures to see how this looks like. Um, it's, it's so interesting because there's so many different opinions about this thing, right? And so you got a picture of a Roman soldier, and they have this belt that has a bunch of different stuff, but then you read all their books, and it says, well, that's not what it was. And this is what I learned this week, which I never learned before and up until this point, is that the belt is actually not part of the armor, so the armor is, if, if you keep on reading the text, it says the armor is the, ble- the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. That's the whole thing. But the belt is not part of it. Actually, if you think about it, every single one of those things, it's either something that you use defensively or offensively. Right? Every single one of those things either defends you from the attacks of the devil, if you will, or from evil, but it's also a way to attack or be offensive toward the devil or evil, but not the belt. In a way, the belt is neutral. It's not even part of the armor. And what some scholars argue, and the more I study this, the more I, I realize that that's exactly what it is, 
is that the belt is, the reason why it's not part of the armor is because the belt is what holds everything together. In other words, the belt of truth is the most foundational, foundational thing you can have. In other words, if you don't wear the belt of truth, you have nothing else. You could go like crazy, do crazy things against the devil, but if the foundation, the most foundation thing is not there, the belt of truth, you have nothing else. So I was thinking of a modern example, because we don't have actually, a, we cannot see a picture of how that exactly looks like, but this is the explanation. This is something that they will wear underneath their clothes to tie everything together. You know, so the sword will go there and things will go there, but this went underneath, the most foundational thing. So picture... Uh, when I was in high school, I was talking to my daughters about this. When I was in high school, it was the first time when um, us teenagers started using, back in the days, all right, uh, started using these extra large jeans, right? And that's when the, you know, drop down thing, that, that became popular. That was in 19 whatever, all right? Uh, <laughs> And, and, and I remember walking through the hall from, from one week to the other and saying, what is wrong with these kids? Except that the following week, I was doing exactly the same thing. And this is the trick, though, that for some people, even today, when I look, I always question it. Because even if it's a style that they like, it's, it's fine. It's just, I think it's dumb. But even if it's a style, right, and you hold your pants down, one thing that people cannot do when they wear the pants like that is run. Right? So if you are in trouble, you are in trouble because you cannot run. So if, what I want you to see here is that the belt, without the belt, is like trying to run when your pants are not in the right place. Does that make sense? That's exactly what's happening here. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we live in this world in which, uh, which is we are, find ourselves in the middle of a spiritual war. And the only way that we're going to be able to fight against the devil and the evil in this world is to use the armor. But, to, but in order for us to use the armor, we must first get the most foundational thing, which is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is what holds everything else together. The most foundational thing. This is interesting, though. That when he describes the devil... He uses the name devil for a purpose, for a reason. You know how he could have used any other name, any of the other names that the, the, the Satan has in the Bible? Any other names. So, for example, he could have used the name Satan, right? Or the accuser, or the adversary, or the enemy, or the evil one, or the murderer, or the prince of powers of the air, or, or the tempter. He could have used any of those. But he used the word devil. So look at me in verse uh, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And there, this is extremely significant because watch this. Without the belt of truth, you cannot deal against the devil because the word devil by definition means a liar. So put the concept together. If you don't know what the truth is, you will not be able to identify what a lie is. Part of the problem when we try to go against evil and the devil in the world is that if we don't have the belt of truth as the most foundational thing, we will not, go, we will not be able to fight against 
the devil which he speaks falsely. That's the straight translation of the name. Interesting that there's a word that is extremely significant, and I got to listen only to three quarters of Josh's sermon last week because whenever we come here, we all preach super long. But notice the word schemes there. You know the translation for the word schemes, the original, is where we get the word method. Means that the devil uses different methods. He never, he, he always does the same thing, but he's got so many different techniques and so many different ideas. And when I was thinking about this, this, is, this makes complete sense. If you don't know what the truth is, you will never know how to identify when the devil is messing around with you. You can never fight against the father of lies if you don't have the belt of truth. If you don't have an understanding of what God says and what he wants and how he is, based on the biblical truth, you will never know what the devil is doing. And you will blame everyone else, anything else. You know what's the craziest thing about this? Is that we as Christians, if you are a Christian, we struggle with this. Many times we can be influenced by the devil's work, not even knowing because we have forgotten what the truth is. The principle is simple. You cannot fight against the devil if you don't have the truth. No truth, you would always lose. The most foundational thing. The most foundational thing. And look how Paul puts it here in verse 14. Stand firm then. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm saying in a second. With the belt of truth buckled. Buckled. I hold on to it. Tied up around your waist. That's the idea. Notice that Paul, what he's saying here, it's about the principle here is this is about a mindset. It is about the attitude of your heart. It is about the disposition of your heart toward God's word. Toward God's word. It is actually, thinking a lot about this, it's actually you deciding, even before reading, that the Bible is the word of God. And that whatever is there must be true. Now, if you're an unbeliever, that doesn't make any sense because you need some sort of evidence, right? What's interesting is that the Bible is full of examples that says that we live by faith, not by sight. So if we need examples to prove our case before we read it, you're never going to get to see the truth. We get to see the truth once we start believing, once we get into it, assuming that we're going to find the truth. I actually think that this is one of the major problems, in my opinion, with our modern-day Christians this didn't happen as much years ago, but now it became a popular thing. In a sense of, there's a whole group of people um, that actually believe that the Bible is true. That's not the problem. The problem is that they believe that it's true, but that it's not sufficient. Can you see the difference? I could tell my wife, I believe, uh, I believe, you, that, I believe that you love me. That's a true. But if I don't think that her love is enough for me, then it's not sufficient. And then I'll look for love somewhere else. Does that make sense? 
I think that there's a, this, this idea that you're supposed to come to the Bible and you believe that there are no mistakes in the Bible, but, but that is not sufficient. Therefore, we need something else. Some other people would say, well, yeah, I believe that the Bible is true, but I, I think that it's an incomplete truth, meaning that, yes, this tells me everything that I need to know about God. I, this tells me everything that I need to know about me. This tells me everything that I need to know about salvation, but it doesn't, it doesn't apply to all the areas in my life, whatever areas that might be. Therefore, we look for something that complements God's truth. That's a huge issue. That's actually the example. That's the perfect explanation of what it means to live in a postmodern world in which everything is true. Problem is that if everything is true, nothing is true. This is the example of what I would say the pragmatic world. Yeah, the Bible talks about this. This is what is needed. But no, no, no. What we need is this kind of wisdom. That's a problem. It's the problem when people say, well, no, doctrine, doctrine doesn't matter. You know, what matters is that we all believe in God with different religions. It doesn't matter. You know what the problem is? That every single religion has a different description of God and a different way to get to God. So if the truth is not the truth, if the belt of truth is not the most foundational thing, we have no way to fight against anything at all. That is the problem of some... Um, I could say extra charismatic people in which we have the, the word of God, but for some reason we need this extra special revelation and experience. Can you see why it's so important that the belt of truth is the, most, is the, is the first thing? Because without it, there is no way that we could fight against the devil. Simply impossible. He works in different ways. He does different things. He makes good things look uh, better than when they ought to be. In other words, he takes good things and ele elevates them in our hearts to the point that they become God things. Listen to the words of R.C. Sproul. I think that he puts it clear. He says, I think that the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Did you catch that? He invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a technique, in anything and everything except where God has placed it, his word. And Paul is saying, in the midst of a spiritual war, the thing that you need the most, the most foundation thing is the word stand firm. Stand firm. Listen, in my life, I've gotten to see um, people that believe in the Bible and yet don't know when the devil is doing something. I have relatives like that, friends like that, pastors like that. Even in my own life, there has been times in which I, man, the devil just works in different ways. You don't even see it. You know what? The, the interesting thing about this, though. Um, is, that, is that Paul assumes that this is the attitude of a believer even before he gets into war. When Paul is talking about this, it's not so when we learn to apply this when we are in the middle of war. That wouldn't make any sense. So imagine that you are in war, like physical war. Let's say that you're fighting, you're defending the country, whatever. 
and I'm fighting against Chris, and I'm fighting against somebody right in front of me. And I be, I, I, this is the thing with the stand firm is this is something that you wear before you go into war. Can you imagine how illogical it is that I'm fighting with someone and I say, hold on, time out. Let me get my stuff ready. You can't do that. It has to be before. This is something that we do before. This is something that we do all the time. We read, we memorize, we, we meditate, we understand because when the day comes, look at verse 13, then you can fight against the devil. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes. Notice that there is no exception for anybody. Everyone is going to have to go through this. The day will come and you don't get dressed in the middle of the war. You get dressed before. That's what Paul is saying. You got to know the belt of truth before. So listen to this other, one of the resources we're using. Um, there's, there's a book called The Whole Armor of God by a professor from Westminster Theological Seminary. His name is uh, Ian Dewey. I don't know if that's the way you pronounce his name, but, you know, he's not here, so it doesn't matter. This is what he says. The reason why many Christians set aside a, part a particular time during the day to read the Bible and to pray is because it is a good way to grab hold of the truth. Pay attention here, okay? The measure of that time of study and prayer is not, did it leave me with a warm, with a warm glow over? Rather it is, did it equip me with truth? If there's some aspect of, of God's word that I now understand better, which I can now use more effectively in my life. I was remembering about this guy that um, he wrote this tiny little book long, long ago. He's going through, um, he's, he was encountering uh, cancer. And he, be, he had become a Christian six years before that. And for six years, he was sitting where you guys are sitting. Sunday after Sunday. And for six years, he thought that that was a waste of time. You know why? Because he didn't get this warm glow kind of thing. But when he got the cancer, this is what he said. What I did not know is that God was preparing me for this day. Isn't that crazy? That's exactly what it is. And then this guy says, which I find super true in my life, that's one reason why when we try to set aside a few minutes to read the Bible, you will find that that, you will find that, that time will be the special object of the devil's attention. He will bring to mind all the distractions he can. You will suddenly think of all the things that you need to do, all those things that, are, that at other times simply slip um, by unremembered. All your appointments for the day and all the items on your to-do list are immediately presented for your attention. The internet suddenly seems overwhelmingly attractive. You feel an urgent need to check the email or even to go to the gym. Does that problem sound familiar? And I'm like, amen, amen. The devil hates truth and will do anything he can to distract you from it. Can you see why we wear it? We wear it all the time. We, me we meditate, we read, we study, we memorize. 
because the day will come. When you, less accept, when, you, when you least expect it and in ways that you did not know. You know, last week I was um, uh, teaching when I was doing the first part uh, in the uh, West Chicago uh, campus. And I was, you know, I, we talk about this in church all the time, right? But, you know, you got this cartoon, kind of a cartoon image of who the devil is, right? And, and even if you don't believe that the devil is red and has horns and all that stuff, right? We still have this cartoonish image of who the devil is and how he works, right? So we still think that the devil looks awful. And that when he pre- presents himself, he's, everything is going to look awful. But that's not how it is. He comes in through things that are probably good and most likely beautiful. I, I find that scary. He comes to us through things that are good and most likely beautiful. He just uses them in different ways. So just because everything looks good and it looks beautiful, it doesn't mean that it's God. And the only way we learn how to recognize it is when it's truth. It's through the lenses of truth. So that's the first question. That's why we wear it. Now the second question is this. How to wear it? And I find this one even better because in verse 14, the word truth uh, scholars argue about what that means exactly. What is interesting, though, is that in the text says, uh, stand firm then with the belt of truth. The problem, though, is that in the original, the article the is not there. The way it, was, it is written in the original is something like this. Stand firm then with belt of truth. So we got scholars divided into two different groups. One group would say, well, uh, when what Paul is talking about here is obviously God's truth, the Bible. Other scholars would say, well, no, 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 because you don't have the word the there. It couldn't be talking about this word. It has to be about it has to be talking about the application of this word. So one group would say this is the word of God. The other group would say, well, no, no, it's the, it is the word of God applied to the life of the believer. Interesting that the word truth in the text can also be translated as sincerity. John Stott came, and then he says, I don't know why you guys are fighting about this. Because I think, he says, and I happen to agree with him, is that when Paul is using the word truth here, he's actually talking about both things. He's saying that the belt of truth is the word of God, but the belt of truth is the word of God applied to us. In other words, it's not just information. It's information that affects you. In a very profound way. Uh, Someone will put it like this. The belt of truth is the objective truth, the Bible, used subjectively. It is to take the truth and put it into the most intimate and private parts of your soul. So this is what that means. In order for us to fight this spiritual war, we need to learn two things, people. One, to read the Bible. And two, to let the Bible read you. To read the Bible and to let the Bible read you. Because that's when something that is objective becomes subjective. Here's another quote. Rosaria Butterfield. 
The internal mission of the Bible is to transform the nature of humanity. And she says, that is why unbelievers know it is a dangerous text. If God is the creation of all things, and if the Bible has his seal of truth and power, then the Bible has the right to interrogate my life and culture and not the other way around. So this is the idea. You read and you ask the question, what does this say about me? Now, what does this say about my brother that I hate? What does this say about my issue that I have? What is the, and he might say things about that, but the primary mission of the word is to transform you, to change your nature, if you will, using Rosario's uh, words here. I, I really think that unless we have that, we have nothing. This is just information. Unless we learn how to read the Bible and allow the Bible to read us, we have nothing but information. So I'm going to give you an example here. Uh, this is, comes from James chapter 1, uh, verses 22 to 25, a very famous passage. Um, look at what he does. He says, uh, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Now, it's interesting that he says listen. He's assuming uh, that people are being exposed to God's word in a church. That's what he's writing that. He says, do not merely listen to the word of God, uh, to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what he says. Can you see it? Objective and subjective. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. you got to memorize that phrase. The law gives freedom. God's word gives freedom. And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And this is what James is saying. You can listen all you want, objectively. But if it doesn't become a subjective thing that it reads you, you have nothing. Can you see why you must know the truth. You must know the truth. If the truth is not there, you will be another victim. You will be another victim. Now listen, in my life right now, I told you at the beginning, I, I cannot blame it on the devil, but I, I think I'm going through a life, in, in, through a season in which things are really complicated, so many different levels. Now I have, uh, I think that the Lord has granted me the discipline to go to the Bible all the time. Like, it, you know, I heard once that if by age 40 you have not established uh, good uh, reading Bible habits, then you're lost forever. <laughs> it's a little of an exaggeration, but I heard it and I said, man, before I hit, you know, I'm going to start at 30, right? <laughs> so at 30, 40, and I really, I, I think I have a good discipline reading the Bible and all that stuff. But I noticed then that... Um, the devil, he doesn't get a hold of me personally in my heart per se, but he, could get through me through, he can get to me through my family. Right? So if my family is suffering, he makes my life miserable. So if the church is suffering, he makes my life miserable. And even though I'm really good at identifying when he's lying to me as an individual, 
Sometimes I fail to see that he's lying to me through my family and through. And then out of a sudden, problems become a huge thing, bigger than God himself. This is why this is so important. You read the Bible and you let the Bible read you. You study the Bible and you let the Bible study you. You get into the Bible and you allow the Bible to, to uh, define what's, what reality is and what is not. For example, I'm dealing with someone that is going through anxiety. It's interesting, the interesting thing about anxiety, and it's the same thing with fears, is that uh, anxiety causes you to minimize, uh, maximize problems and minimize God. So this little thing becomes a huge thing. That if you are not struggling with anxiety, you see, well, that's not a big issue. But the person that is going through anxiety, for that person, it is a big issue. And I think that that's how the devil works. He either maximizes things to the point that we forget who God is, or he minimizes things and he says, ah, that's not a big deal, and then he eats your life. Does that make sense? Read the Bible and let the Bible read you. So I'm going to give you very, some very practical things. I think that last year, when we were doing a different series, we gave you something like this. It's, so it's just recommendations. I really believe that what matters is the principle and then you find a way how to apply the principle in your life, in your context, through the season of life. But I'm going to give you some ideas, just in case. Number one, if you are a new believer, or you've never done this as a believer, I want to invite you to read the entire Bible. But check this out. There is like 20 million Bible uh, divisions in the world, like 20 million. What I've learned, though, is that uh, if you don't know the whole truth from beginning to end, but you only got used to memorizing the seeing parts of it, you actually never get to identify what truth is and when the devil is doing something that is a lie. You need to have the whole truth. So this is my recommendation. If you've never done it before, read it from beginning to end. Really, read it. So the question is, Hannibal, I know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall behind because we all do. It doesn't matter. Keep on reading. Now, John Stott, we, we, this is how he will pastor his church. Martin Lowe-Jones will pastor his church like that. J.R. Parker will say the same thing. He says, read the Bible from the beginning to the end. You need to have the whole picture. If you want to learn how, what the belt of truth is, read the Bible from beginning to end. What happens if I don't feel anything? It don't matter. Read the Bible. What happens if I got 20,000 questions? It don't matter. Read the Bible. What happens if I have my doubts, whether or not God exists? It don't matter. Read the Bible. How about if I find this difficult text in the scripture that I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me? It don't matter. Read the Bible. My explanation is super simple. The, the difficult texts in the Bible are usually explained in the easy text in the Bible. You understand difficult things about God from the sections in the Scripture that God is extremely clear. Read the Bible. So if you want to read the Bible in one year, four chapters a day, seven days a week. I've been a pastor enough and a Christian enough to know that this is almost impossible. How many of you guys ever read the Bible like that? One year, please. 
Good. I did that my first two years as a Christian. And I've been a Christian for 20-something years. You know what gets in the middle of my, Bible st- of my Bible reading? Prepping for a sermon. Ministry. My wife. My daughters. The gym. Anything that the guy mentioned before. So I decided to just read. Get through it. And find a balance between the New Testament and the Old Testament. So if you're reading through the book of Leviticus, I guarantee you, you will quit tomorrow. Find a balance. And lastly, pray over it. So this was changed my life. From the objective to the subjective. I have, I do my reading through the whole thing. And then there's always a section that really catches my attention. And that section, I pray. And I use that section, so for you to remember, is use the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, for those that are taking note, notes. A for adoration, I use the text to adore the Lord. C for confession, I use the text to confess, whatever they're talking about there. T for thanksgiving, I use that text to thank the Lord. And S for supplication, I request something from the Lord. ACTS. Super simple. I've been applying this to my life for the last 15 years. And really has changed me. I mean, I got a long way to go, but it has changed me. Amen? All right. That's the why. That's the how. And really quick, who wears it? And this is where I think a lot of believers make a mistake. Because when you read that verse, verse 14 again, I think that I put it there. No. Don't put it there. Um... It says, you know, stand firm, wear the belt of truth, and you got to ask the question, you know, then this is about me. The natural conclusion is to say, well, this text is about me doing what I have to do. What I want to invite you to see, though, is that when you read that, that verse, that chapter 6, comes in the context of everything else that, that Paul had already said. And Josh actually made a really good explanation about this last week. This is the ending after Paul talks about who we are in Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us in the cross, and who we are in Jesus. Therefore, in verse 10 when he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, he's not just saying, you know, be strong, but when he uses in his mighty power, it's a connection to the gospel. In other words, the belt of truth is to put on you who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Understanding first that the only person that has been faithful to the belt of truth has been Jesus. You know how I know that? Because in Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to put this one on the screen, it says righteousness will be his belt, and he's talking about Jesus, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The only person that has been able to uh, wear the belt of truth the way the, the person's supposed to, that was Jesus. That's a verse about him. And it is because he did that, and he went to the cross that now we get to wear what he gives us in the gospel. Interesting enough that when he says, stand firm, if you read the whole letter, it's the same word, it's a synonym of the word in him, and it's a synonym of the word abide. 
is who we are in Jesus and what he came to do for us. It's to know that we have been forgiven and accepted. It is to know that you have been adopted. It is to know that you have been justified and forgiven. It, is to mean, it, it, it means that you have been sanctified, separated from him. It is to know who you are in Jesus. When you put that on, you're putting the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, and that's how you fight against the devil. You know why I like to read the Bible, in, in all honesty? It's because I find Jesus in every page of it. Because the whole Bible is about him. The reason why I'm saying read the entire Bible is so you get to see Jesus all throughout. And that's what keeps you from the devil. Not from the problems, but from everything else he does. The most foundational truth of all God's truth is that the belt of truth is Jesus. He is the way and the truth. And to wear the belt of truth is to, you know, is to know who you are in him. So let me finish with this. I have no idea how much I preach for it because you guys don't have a clock here. But let me finish with this. J.I. Packer uh, used to give us an example of how is it that the devil gets into our lives. And he would say this, that sometimes we behave like a slave. And he gives this explanation. He says that the slaves, when, um, when they first were given their freedom, it took them a long time to live according to the freedom they already had. Super interesting. So they were free, objectively, but subjectively, they behaved like slaves. You know that I think sometimes we do that? The reason why the devil gets a hold of us sometimes is because we don't live according to what we already are and what we already have. So when the devil lies about who you are, if you bring the belt of truth and you remember who you are in Jesus, that's how you fight against the lie he says. Other than that, you would always believe his lies. How do you live in this world, in the middle of a spiritual war? Stand firm in the belt of truth. Amen? Can we pray? Lord, we, we thank you that we get the chance to, uh, to listen to your word, Lord, and uh, to understand that it's not just about listening, but believing. And it's not just about listening and believing, but applying. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you give us um, not a sense necessarily of you, or who you are and what you came to do for us, but you give us this understanding of what the truth is to the point that we learn to fight the spiritual war. Lord, someone has said that we are just like little children, victims of so many different things. But we're not just like little children. We are... We are people that have been uh, purchased and redeemed by Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. We have the Holy Spirit. We have your word. We're not just victims, Lord. We have been saved and protected and redeemed. Please help us live according to that. Please give us the wisdom to understand, believe, and apply the truth. So when the evil day comes, we know what to do. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say...